Welcome to Post-Traumatic Thriving, where we explore life's toughest issues, along with the art, science, and stories of resilience. Please be advised that our guests share their raw stories of addiction, abuse, crime, and tragedy, along with tips to survive and thrive. And now, here are our hosts, Dr. Randall Bell and Tanya Brown. Welcome back to Post-Traumatic Thriving. I am your host, Dr. Randall Bell. I'm joined by Tanya Brown. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Randy. Hi, everyone. Hi, and our, our welcome back to our wonderful guest, Reza Rezvi. Great. Did I get hey, that guys. right, Reza? Yeah. You got it spot on. Okay. <laughs> spot on. Oh, I am, like, feeling good. Yeah, good, good. Which, which is great. We're in the Thrive stage. Yeah. And, you know, the Thrive stage is my personal favorite of these episodes because we, we, you know, have been through your story, Reza, and I'm going to recap it here. And then you're going to launch us into thriving with all kinds of interesting dimensions mm -hmm. to what thriving really looks like. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, but we see all the difficulties you went through to kind of get to this spot. And basically you were born in London with this cool accent. you grew up Muslim and uh, your mom and dad are there. Everything's cool till you're 10. Uh, you have a little sister who's born when you're 10 years old. And that's coincident coincidentally about the time that your dad loses his job as a CPA. And there's some issues there. And, and, uh, and so that's kind of a first lay of trauma. Plus your sister's born with a congenital heart defect, needs open heart surgery. And uh, there are a lot of difficulty, difficulties with the family. And it sounds like you kind of come from a, uh, immigrant family story mm -hmm. coming from Pakistan mm -hmm. into London mm -hmm. and a lot of diversity in your neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Un unlike Mary Poppins uh, version of London, this is an area with some gangs yep. and mm -hmm. some sketchy stuff, which you had mm -hmm. the good sense and the good parenting to kind of mm -hmm. stay clear of. Mm -hmm. And, and then, uh, you know, you get kind of mugged by with your cousin and, you know, a gang, you know, uh, you know, comes and steals all your stuff. I and mean, then you're selling burgers and cell phones and, and school to keep money coming. I mean, you're just relentless. You're struggling <laughs> academically. That's a good word. Which yeah, is, yeah, which, is, right. which is, a, frankly, a problem I can relate to because I'm yeah. not a fast learner. I learn, but it takes me longer than yeah. others. I think yeah. it's fair to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, you miraculously get into... The University of uh, Greenwich. 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 Yeah. I should remember that. Um, the prestigious University of Greenwich, as you say. Well, yeah. it's like yeah. to an American, it sounds that way. Yeah. But you have some great asset, uh, uh, assets. One is being that cool, you know, London accent, which in America we love. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, my my yeah. little my son, he said uh, <laughs> he do. found out that I had lived in England for a while, and he says. England, that's where people speak uh, uh, foreign language, but you can understand them. <laughs> no way! Is that what he said? Yeah, I did. That's hilarious. My, my little boy, he's 21 and headed to UCLA now. Oh, he's that's fantastic. Good, good, good for kid. him. Good for um, him. Good for him. Yeah, and, and and so you 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 go for it. You move to the United States, which is your goal. You finish up college. And then at flops, because you mm -hmm. basically become homeless, mm -hmm. uh, your landlord turns off all the utilities because you're paying the rent, but he's not paying for the utilities. Mm -hmm. And you have to kind of go back to London uh, defeated. Mm -hmm. And that's a very low point. 
Mm-hmm. Your wonderful friend Nathan, who you grew up with, mm-hmm. your your mate from uh, way mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. Uh, passes away very sadly from stomach Kieran, cancer. Kieran was the friend that passed oh, away. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Nathan was yeah. the yeah. other friend. Nathan I, was I the other friend who was there. The, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. so many friends, it's hard to keep them all. <laughs> no, excuse, yeah. me. <laughs> excuse me. Yeah, Kieran uh, passed yes. away. That's, yeah, yeah so yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Uh, and you you want to get back into school. Your family's full of lawyers and achievers and finance yeah. people. Yeah. You go to your grandpa kind of humbly and ask for the money for tuition, which your grandfather sounds like a wonderful guy yeah. to, to support mm-hmm. you on that. I'm sure he saw your character. You'd never asked for anything before. Mm-hmm. So you move, uh, you start your school in London, your master's degree. You uh, meet up with your girlfriend. You're still with her to this day. You moved to Boston together and mm-hmm. you're, but your eye is always on the prize. And that mm-hmm. prize has a name called New York city. Right. Do I, do I have that basically right? Yeah, you got it. You got okay. it. Great so, recap. Great recap. Got it. Yeah. There's our recap, but take it away. You know, going from Boston to New York, you cool. graduated yeah. with a master's go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, as, as we concluded in the last session, so I'm here catching the mega buses, waking up at five 30, uh, waking up at four, catching the five thirty bus, doing interviews, some of which are lasting fifteen minutes, and then coming straight back, closing my shift out at Macy's, and this continues for you know a few months. Uh, and then I find an opportunity at a, uh, a financial uh, institution called uh, Mazars. Uh, uh, well, now it's called Mazars USA. It's a mid-sized um, accounting and advisory and investment management firm, mm-hmm. and. Um, they give me an interview and I'm like, Oh my God, like financial services. Like, like this is like getting closer to investment banking. You know what I mean? So like, now I'm like, Oh my God, this is pretty freaking cool. Um, yeah. So get the interview and I do the usual, right. Grab a, grab a, um, mega bus down and, um, do the interview a few rounds, uh, Last round is with the the chief marketing officer, and the chief marketing officer, you know, I interview uh, with her, and uh, she said the the role that I'm applying for or interviewing for is a marketing assistant at the time. Uh, so she says to me, "I know that you applied for an assistant level, but um, I like you, and I think that you know that that you'll do well here." Uh, how about we just start you off as an associate instead and bypass the assistant? She said, you'll get more money as well. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to say no to that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so uh, we sort that out, get the job offer. There's no butt coming, by the way, just so you know, it actually ends, it ends with a happy ending. I know there's been a lot of like push and pull, but no, this one actually does end with a, with a happy ending. I get the, get the job offer and, uh, and I, I can't believe it. Obviously, first thing that I do is call up granddad. Yeah. Let him know that. Hey, nice. hey man, starting off with $50,000, man. I was like, it's the most money that I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> you know? And, uh, He's obviously over the moon. Mm. My entire family is over the moon. You know, Ali is, of course, very, very happy. You know, everything is going great. However, the problem is, is that, uh, is that Ali does not have a job. And uh, New York City 
is on $50,000. While it sounds great for me coming from Hounslow, right? I mean, £6.88, $50,000 in New York City is not going to do much for your life. Right. Right. So um, especially not for two people. Mm -hmm. So we decide to... Uh, that that Alex will stay back in Boston and I will leave and we will do a long distance thing. Right. Um, and uh, during this period, um, you know, I, uh, how do I phrase it? Oh, I'll just say it point blank. I became neglectful. Right. When, when I moved to New York, here I was, I had my well-paying job, but it was in Times Square as well, which I, now I, having lived in New York, I realized that Times Square is absolute hell for every New Yorker living there. But yeah. as a newly, uh, a newly arrived New Yorker working in Times Square, like that was like the the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. and uh, now I'm making a couple of friends as well. Joined a boxing gym. I used to box in England and I started to box in New York. Started to meet a few friends there, developing a social circle. Things are looking pretty good, right? But um, I, I became neglectful of, of Ala during this period, right? And, and I, uh, while we have moved past it, it's one of those things that definitely uh, stays somewhere in her brain, you know, somewhere, right? It's like that. It's a pretty, after everything that she did for me, you know, and, and then for me to then like start my life in New York. And obviously we would still keep in touch and this, that, and the other, but it definitely, it became kind of like me here with my social. And then with Ella, it kind of like did, did a little like inverted sort of thing. Right. And, um, and it was terrible of me. It's something that I, you know, I really like, how dare I do such a thing, you know? Like it, it makes me feel very bad, even though we've moved past it. Things are great with us. We've discussed the issue. She knows how apologetic I am. And she herself has said that, you know, there's been a lot of change. And she actually said to me, she's like, you know, when you were younger, she was like, you were really immature. Uh, you know, and she, <laughs> we uh, all were. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and, and I was like, what? I was like, man, I was like, me? I was like, I was mature for my age. She was like, no, nah, you won't. She, and then she would give me the laundry list of all the things that I used to do. And I was like, all right, maybe there is some validity in your uh, statement there. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so that that was happening. So that that wasn't great. And I, and I obviously, I obviously, I didn't recognize it in that moment. It took me several years after Ale brought it up, right, for me to really realize what I had done. Right in that moment, I was merrily in my world. Poor Ali. In the meantime, still working at the janitorial company, living in this crazy Brazilian chick's house. Right, this is the one that we—that's where we were staying before I left. And her and her partner would often get into like domestic things, and like we would hear, like we had our own little room. But you know, I'm now living in a decent place. I lived in Queens, right, throughout mm-hmm. my entirety in in New York. And um, poor Ali, right, she's she's there alone you know, working there and she's also trying to hustle like to get back and all of that stuff. So anyway, so I'm, I'm starting at uh, Mazars now and uh, you know, it's, everything's going great. You know, and now in the, in the, in the meantime, also I had a, I had a business idea, right? This is 2012. 
uh, my, the idea came to me spontaneously when Ale and I were walking and she was telling me about those flat shoes that women wear that, um, that can fold and then you put them in your, in your mm-hmm. purse, right? So then we were just literally going on, a, I remember it clear as day, casual. Sort, and then I said, well, what if you had a heel shoe that could then convert into a flat so that when the girls go to the club or the bar or whatever, and they're lined up outside barefoot, they could just like take it out, put in a different piece, and that would resolve that. And she just looked at me like, <laughs> whoa, that is like, that is fantastic. It's like, she was like, that is like, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> like you need to do like, and, and, and I don't know Jack about women's shoes. <laughs> I just had an idea, you know, and, and, and it's an idea that I was kind of like pondering and I didn't really have the means, but now that I was earning some money, I could start to put some money behind this. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I looked for literally zero experience in shoes, right? None whatsoever, apart from selling shoe sneakers and, and sweeping floors, as we've established, right? But as far as the, the creation and the business and nothing. So I literally started to Google prototype companies, right? And I found a place in uh, Miami, weirdly, right? Not I wasn't actively looking for a place in Miami, just so happened to find it here. And, uh, and they sp- and got talking and he said he specializes in uh, shoes, uh, so I was like, oh, great. He said he has his own boots business. So he's like, I'm going to need this, that, and the other. He said it's going to cost 10 grand. And I was like, oh, my God. So I had to accrue the money that I was getting from my, my day job. And everything that I would get, I would then spit it back out, right? It would literally come in and go straight back out. I wasn't saving for retirement. wasn't saving for emergency. None of that, right? It was all going into this business uh, and rent. Uh, so uh, we were going through that motion. And then he said, I'm going to need some technical specs from you, technical specifications regarding the shoes. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, So I, I realized I needed an expert in this area. So literally what I did was I Googled shoe designers I found a list and I literally called them up one by one. There was like 200 on the list. How I've got this idea. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's not going to work. Too complicated. Boom. <laughs> right. Endless. Endless. Like, uh, who are you? Do you go, have you ever got any backing from Nine Worth? No. Okay. Boom. Right. It was endless. All of that. And then I managed to find a shoe designer that formerly worked at Nine West. And uh, I just said to her, I said, hey, I said, I got this idea. I said, let me add the caveat. Sorry about that. Rosa <laughs> <laughs> just had a bird land on this head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That is uh, cute. Oh, and when Alice, when Alice sees this, she's going to say, I can't believe you didn't put her away. And you just yeah, let her fly around. I think it's around. awesome. <laughs> and I just, I kind of call it out in, in spoken word because... Uh, 80 90 percent of our you know audience is just listening oh, not watching right okay yeah, cool so i just that's good to, to know okay cool our, no our, no our, no that's really good for me to well. work or something yeah, yeah. cool yeah. <laughs> um so uh so i call up this girl from she's a designer for nine west and uh and i'll disguise her identity it's called a janet right um and uh say to to, to janet hey janet i've got this idea I said, I've already spoken to loads of people. They've rejected it. I said, look, I said, I'm not a millionaire. 
let me add that caveat right now. I said, but I think that this idea is going to work. I said, it's a brilliant idea and I will figure out a way to get the money to make this work. I said, all I need is your expertise. I said, I can't pay you. I said, but I will give you equity in the company if it takes off. I said, um, I know that lots of people have said it's not going to work. I said, but I promise you I'll find a way and I'll get a factory and I, I'll get them to produce this shoe. And she goes, look, Reza. she's like, this is a really complicated idea. She's like, I've worked at Nine West for a very long time. She's like, truthfully, she's like, I don't know if it's going to work. She said, but I admire your hustle and you're willing to go at the shoe industry, a multi-billion dollar industry as a nobody and try to compete. And she said, and just because of that, she said, I'm willing to like go on this ride with you. She was a freaking animal when it came to shoe designing. Like she was fantastic. The designs were beautiful. She did a fantastic job with the dimensions. Didn't take any money. Very cheerful, lovely lady. Everything, like everything was just checked. And I was like, dang, I just got a nine West shoe designer on my team. Like, look at that. That's pretty cool. And in the back end, you know, me obviously not having industry experience, I decided to enroll myself into shoemaking classes for women's shoes. Um, <laughs> they're surrounded by a bunch of women. Here's me coming in, <laughs> sitting through a workshop, trying to like, figure out like how to like do all of this stuff, you know. Uh, but I was like, hey man, if you're gonna enter this industry, you can't go in blindly. So I decided to put myself in that environment. <laughs> and now I told, called up the prototype company. I said, hey, man, I said, uh, I got somebody on the team. I said that she's going to be able to hook you up with the tech specs and we can get this party started. So he goes, uh, okay, cool. So we sent over the tech specs. Uh, he sent them back like the 3D, like the, the virtual 3D modeling of it. And uh, he had worked in shoes, right? So um I didn't really look at the tech specs too, in too much detail when he sent them back because I was just going to what he's doing. We've already given him the dimensions, right? So, um, and and uh, takes a couple of months or something and now he he sends the shoe, right, in a box. Oh my God, it was like, like, a, like this is like a, over a year and or almost two years in the making, right? Because I had this idea in 2012. So I've had this idea since I was at the business school. And uh, we uh, got the package and Ali is obviously there and you know she's like really excited as well. And get the brown box, says fragile on it, sit down so delicately, like opening up the box, everything. And, um, and I open up the box and I like absolutely lost it in a bad way. I, I open up the box and I see a shoe that I've spent 10 grand on that wouldn't even fit a human foot. Hmm. This was the shoe <laughs> right here. Oh, wow. Right. So, so what I'm looking at is oh my God. kind of a shoe, but yeah. it, it looks a, like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. And it has the, 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 this, the, the this was the, the heel breaks off. Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. So he sent me this little Your thing. $10, and look at, shoe. And it's flint. Look at it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Oh. I spent 10 grand on this. Okay. And uh, I was like, I get him on the phone. Yeah. I would have done it. I would have done it for five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That>? <laughs> this is worth like 
five dollars. Okay, it looks so pretty I, bad. So I get the guy on the phone and I absolutely rip him to shreds. What the f is this, man? I was like, this doesn't even fit a freaking human. I was like, I just paid you ten grand, and his response in one line, you approved the tech specs. He said, not my problem. And oh I was like, God. this guy. I was like, yeah. I said, I approved the tech spec because you told me you knew how to manufacture shoes. So I thought you could at least manufacture it so it fits a human. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and regretfully, he didn't. So what obviously, you know, that was my first lesson in life, I think. One of, well, one of my first lessons in life, which is uh, don't ever trust anybody, even if they say that they know what they're talking about. Always do your own due diligence. Yeah. Always mm-hmm you know never go through just yeah. blindly go ahead run well there, there, there's a whole industry set up for wannabe authors or i don't want to say wannabe that's a derogatory but new time authors new time business owners new time mm-hmm. entrepreneurs new time inventors mm-hmm. yeah and there are whole yeah. entire industries set up to scam yeah. people that have are going yeah. into something for the first time. It sounds like you kind of yeah. learn yeah. that the hard way. Yeah, regretfully. But it, it, sometimes you have to learn the hard way in order to rectify the issue permanently. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and that's that's what happened. But uh, I didn't give up, you know. Yeah. You know, so in my mind, I, I knew I had a brilliant idea. And uh, there was a person called Tanya Heath who had an idea where you had, could have a boot that wouldn't convert to a flat. So that was the the, the, the niche element of my idea is that it could go into from a heel to a flat. Mm-hmm. Tanya Heath's idea was just a boot where you could swap out the actual boots to have different colors. So it still remains up, mm-hmm. right? That's the difference. Now she secured a million dollars on Shark Tank Canada, mm-hmm. right? Wow. For that idea. Everybody... Every single person I know is telling me you need to go on Shark Tank with this idea mm-hmm. or you need to go on Dragon's Den. That's the UK equivalent mm-hmm. of, of Shark Tank. And I'm like, look, guys, I was like, I've seen the show. I was like, the first thing that the dragons ask is uh, how many cells have you got? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you don't have any cells? I said, they're just going to rip me to shreds and, and that's going to be the end of it. I said, it's just not worth it. Now, in the back end, I, I, I thought it was a solid idea. So I decided to look into how to file a patent. I knew nothing about IP law, intellectual property, any of that. I did the same thing. <laughs> Went to Google's your best friend, literally learned about it, just started to reach out to different IP lawyers. And I found somebody who could who could uh, do the patent. So he sorted out everything for me. And, um, and in the meantime, I'm, I'm now trying to find another manufacturer who can create me create a, a better heel shoe? So I'm, I'm going through the same process, and I find a German company, and I call up the German company, and, and meanwhile I'm still employed. Just remember, I'm still employed doing my full time job while all this is is going on. Mm-hmm. So I'm working around the clock, basically, right? Um, and I'm working on this in my lunch while I'm in the financial services job and and all of that stuff, right? So. Um, but you know, it's a brilliant idea and, and I think I have believe in the potential, right? Uh, so going after it and I call up this German company and the German company says, we can't do this, but we know a guy that does out of the box, uh, 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 shoes for like Nike and Under Armour. And, uh, perhaps he might be able to assist. 
So gave me the number and I called him up. Uh, his, his name was Norbert, right? Thick German accent. <laughs> the thickest that you could ever imagine. And I called him up. He goes, hello, yeah. And I go, uh, I, yeah, you know, but I was, like, I was referred to you by blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, how, how can I help you? And, uh, I gave him the, the, the synopsis of the, the idea. And I, I, I kind of went into the same sort of like plea that I went with Janet when I tried to get her on board. And I said, man, I said, I said, just, I said, I know that you work with Nike. I know you work with big brands. I said, just take the risk on me, man. Like I said, I said I'm, I'm going to give you my all. I said, I don't know if it's going to work. I said, but you know, I'm, I'm going to hustle to make it work. And he goes, okay, Raza. Yeah. This is what we can do for you. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I like you. I think you have good personality and, uh, uh, okay. Uh, I, I work with you. And I was like, oh my days. I was like, I just got this major factory. He's based in Indonesia. Uh, and apologies for my Brit uh, for my German accent for anybody for any of the German <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I think it started off German and then it went into something else. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> we got the idea. <laughs> um, so I called up Janet and I was like, Janet, I was like, you're not going to believe this. I just managed to bag a major factory that is willing to to do everything, and these guys are legit. So started to to basically get everything started i told him about the problem that i had with this guy that that messed up the, the, the first prototype he said yeah he said that's not gonna work he said that he said we need to start from the beginning unfortunately he said i can't do anything with that so I literally had to start from scratch and then man i started to get these hefty bills coming through 10 grand 15 grand 20 grand 25 grand Right, it's big, hefty bills, and it's all coming out of my, my, uh, my the income that I'm getting from the financial mm -hmm. stuff, right? So even though I'm earning decent money, I'm not pocketing or living much of a a, a life per se, right? Aside from visiting Ali and then also like paying rent, and and uh, but you know, I I wanted to get this thing off the ground, right? So, um, before I. Oh, well, before I get there. Um, so he then um, started to send me 3D models and they were looking really good, right? And uh, we we got to the phase where um, uh, he mailed me the prototype. And uh, I'll show you. So so, uh, so because it, it is so technical in nature, I'd like to get a heel to go down to a flat uh, because of the pressure and the stress that your foot puts on, right? So imagine to have something that's sturdy enough to hold a foot in its upright position, but then also flexible enough to go down, it requires an immense amount of R&D and, 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 and technical um, uh, elements. So what they did was instead they created two separate shoes right which was a heel and a flat and they showed me how it would look with the with the insert coming out of it right so then he he mailed me uh the 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 new prototypes which actually thankfully looked like a real shoe and these were the real ones right mm -hmm. so as you can see right the the they actually look like a shoe and I just put side by side. This is the 10 grand one. Yeah. Right. And this yeah. is the, like the real one. And here you can see that, that you know, it has the, the insert, right? Yeah. So yeah. that, and then it slides in and then uh, the flat also has an insert underneath. 
right? Got it. Yeah. So they look a lot more like r- real shoes. Real yeah. shoes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at this moment in time, probably spent about 50 grand of my own money on this, roughly. Everybody's saying to me, you need to get an investor. I'm like, man, I was like, I, was like, I don't know those types of people. I don't know people with that type of money. I was like, it was hard enough for me to get 24 grand from my granddad. You know, you're talking, yeah. telling me about getting hundreds of thousands. Of, I, was like, I said, I don't know. I don't have those connections, right? I don't, I don't, regretfully, I don't have that type of network, but you know, so um, I said, I'm self-funding all of this. And obviously, Ali, you know, she's very supportive. <laughs> Imagine, right? Like your partner has dropped 50 grand <laughs> on an entrepreneurial endeavor and we don't have a house. Meanwhile, Alice living in with a crazy Brazilian chick, right? And, and, and her crazy husband, right? Who gave yeah. it to fights. And I'm right. and I'm and I'm spending money left and right. And she's uh, supporting me. Like she'd never once said, don't do it, or anything like that. Right. So um, and she's always been very supportive of my um, entrepreneurial uh, endeavors, even regardless of how outlandish and uh uh costly they could be at, at times. Uh so I've now dropped 70 grand on this entire thing. And we're, we're getting closer, but we're still in R&D stage. We haven't even begun manufacturing. Mm. And um, I had to have a really long, hard think about this. And I, it was a really difficult decision, but I had to walk away from it because I couldn't no longer spend the amount of money. I never regretted it, anything, even to this day. I don't regret spending. It wasn't even about the regret of, oh my God, I spent so much. It was just the fact that I had a brilliant idea, especially now in 2022, it's coming to fruition, right? Where people have mastered it and good for Mm them. But I was not able to master it and it hurt me really, really bad that I was not able to follow through with this idea mm-hmm. because I didn't have the financial means to do yeah. so. But um, I had to make that tough decision because I was not building a future here. You know, I was I, invest, I just like, kind of like I put in everything, I put in all the money, put in everything. And I just had to tie up the gloves because I couldn't continue to bleed out cash at that rate as I was. And people ask me to this day at times, hey, what happened if, whatever happened to that shoe thing that you were doing? And it literally pierces my heart whenever anybody asks me because it is one of those things that I still to this day have so much conviction behind. I just wasn't able to get it off the ground. Yeah. Did you get right. the patent issued? Well, so the patent was closer to getting approved. And then the patent attorney hits me up and he goes, um, we need to make an amendment, but it's going to cost you about 15 to 20 grand. Mm. And then I was like, I I really wanted to do it. (laughs) Like I really wanted to do it. And I was like, I can't do that. And I had to make the tough decision and abandon the patent abandon everything mm. <laughs> and that i had to embarrassingly tell janet i gave it everything that i could and janet took it like she was great person like she wasn't sour 
had to mm-hmm. tell Norbert, right? And I just felt really bad because all yeah. these people trusted me and I convinced them and I wasn't able to fulfill my end of the bargain, you know? Well, sure wasn't for lack of trying. And I think mm-hmm. what I'm getting from your story is that, you know, you work your way through a bachelor's degree and then a master's degree and going to back to the Boston, the US of A, then mm-hmm. to New York, you get a nice job with a decent salary. You're you're working in New York at Times Square. And yeah. a lot of people would have arrived there and said, I'm done. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. going to live the life here. Yeah. You know, my girlfriend yeah. will get her job and we'll, yeah. we'll kind of yeah. set up shop here and just kind of yeah. coast. But you're always yeah. looking over the next Thank hill. You. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. And yeah. I like it's funny. I, I, I joked with Nathan recently. I was like, man, I was like, maybe I need to get therapy or something, man. I was like, I always do this. <laughs> I always, I said, I am always chasing. And we'll get into this as we go. Like, you know, like I decided to write the book. Right. I, I didn't need to write a book. I just, yeah. I just, I'm always trying and I'm just an entrepreneur at heart. Right. And, yeah. um, and I, and I, and I like to invest in myself. And I think a lot of people are afraid of investing in the, they'd rather invest in Gucci and a Lamborghini and mm-hmm. fancy cars than take the risk of investing in themselves and and I, and there's a chapter in my book called the three biggest dream killers and the number one dream killer I'll give you a sneak peek is overthinking because yes. most people fail not because of true failure they fail because they have shot their own dream down because yeah. before they've even given it a chance to flourish not anybody else themselves oh no who am i to write a book i don't have a million followers who's going to read that you make up all these excuses mm-hmm. yeah. and you, you know, and you just tie up the gloves before you've even given yourself a fair shot. And I, I just don't conduct myself in, in that manner. Yeah, yeah I get it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a lot of people would have been very satisfied with what you had, but you're, you know, yeah. you're, you're yeah. this is, this is, this went belly up, but you yeah. know, it's cool yeah. that you went for it. I'm sure yeah. you learned a lot. Again, yeah, I learned goal. a lot. Yeah. Again, yeah. it's a goal. It was an idea. Yeah. I mean, how many ideas have I had and how many, like, <laughs> have lied dormant, you know, so kudos to yeah. you. You have Thank an idea, you. you acted on it, right? You were tenacious once again, <laughs> and now you're writing a book. So everything it is, it's pretty interesting how you're yeah. always looking forward and yeah. to better yourself. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank so you. What, what came next after the shoe thing? Yeah. So after that, so uh, I continue to, to just do my job and then something else happens. Um, and there's a little bit of a dent in the story once again, because now um, my sister's arteries are not growing with her heart. And she now has to has, have open heart surgery for the second time hmm. um, with the same risk level as before of death. Hmm. So I've been in the job for about, seven months or so and behind the scenes also my the manager that i had was not great we had problems right Uh, i loved everything about it and the chief marketing officer other people were great my direct manager was not great supreme micromanager um she used to get annoyed because i would leave 
like let's my job is nine to five and I, I would leave at five and she would get annoyed at me for leaving at five because she would have to stay till eight, nine o'clock doing her job. And she would like find different things. So um, when I, when I was alerted about the news, uh, I needed to get back home. Right. Um, so I, I, spoke with uh, the chief marketing officer and uh, I said, this is the story. And so I need to go back home. And naturally they asked how long I said, that's a difficult question for me to answer. I said, I need to go back for as long as it takes. Basically. I said, it's, and they said, um, because you haven't been with us for longer than a year, um, uh, we can't grant you more than one to two weeks. And I said, that's not going to be enough. So uh, I said, all right. I said, um, I said, um, it's gonna, I'm going to have to hand in my resignation because I need to go back home. Um, I wasn't going to, regardless of the, uh, the relationship with my sister and all the things that I mentioned previously, like, yeah, I'm not going to not be there for such a major event in my sister's life. Right. Yeah. Um, so on the back end, I'm trying to look for a job, another job, right? Because I'm about to let everything go again, right? This involuntarily, right? Because of the, the, the state of the situation. So um, start to look for other jobs. And uh, I find a job that is a, a wealth management now. I've now advanced from accounting and advisory to now wealth management. I get an interview. Uh, so the firm is based on Park Avenue and 57th. So I'm stepping up in terms of the location wow. as well in, in, in New York, right next to Fifth Ave, right? Yes. Where all the big skyscraper Chrysler building and all of that. Uh-huh. Um, so I have a grueling round of interviews, the most grueling that I've ever had in my life. So I had to do present case studies and all sorts. And um, uh, I'm, they offered me the job and I explained to the CEO who was in my interview what the deal was. I said, I said, I'm going to need to go back home. And they said, don't worry. He said, we're going to wait for you. And I was like, nice. no way. Nice. Uh, he was like, yeah, he's like, take all the time you need. Come back. He's like, just going to be waiting for you. And I was like, oh my God, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. So uh, that evening, uh, I uh, um, that uh, that weekend they called me back within twenty four hours of the interview, basically, and they scheduled a, a, a breakfast on Saturday to go over the offer and all of that stuff. And um, they offered me sixty five. So now, within eight months, I went from fifty k to sixty five k, just like that. And I was like, man, what is this life? <laughs> you know, like, what is this world that we live in that just a minute ago I was about to lose everything. And now all of a sudden, like I'm getting paid $15,000 more and I haven't even been working for more than eight months, really, you know? Um, so I'm like taken aback, obviously, by the, by the situation. And I'm, I'm uh, a skill that I get from my dad, actually, is negotiation, negotiating. 
I actually negotiated more than what they gave me. I mean, they actually gave me what, what, what I wanted. So I was like, oh my God, this, what a blessing. And now I told, uh, I was telling my employers at Mazars, right? That I'm getting closer to leaving. And what they actually said, uh, that my manager at the time went to the chief marketing officer and told her that I was lying about my sister's operation just so I could leave uh, for another employer. And I was like, oh, wow. My like, she literally thought I made the whole thing up. And wow. um, yeah, and the way that I found this out is because I, I knew I had a friend on the inside and she told me that's what had happened. And they were all congregating in, in the room talking about me because I guess this uh, my new prospective employer had asked for a, um, a, uh, a reference, right? So all these little gossip things started to spread mm. and they were going into a team meeting. And I didn't go into the team meeting because obviously I was about to leave, so there's no point. And my friend texted me. And she said, you came up in this meeting. She was like, watch your back. She's like, as soon as this meeting's on, they're going to terminate you early. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I, I can't have that. I, it, the meeting was about an hour. She texted me about 40 minutes in. I, when I got that text, I literally packed my things up and I just left <laughs> before everybody came out. And I vacated the premises. But I couldn't believe that somebody thought that. I would go to the extent of lying that my sister's having open heart surgery because I didn't have the balls to tell them that I was going to another employer. Like how mm. outlandish and outrageous mm. that. So, so yeah, I left, went back to London. Thankfully, the, you know, employment is, is secured, so that wasn't a a concern. And um, what I what I failed to to mention, however, is that by by March, uh, Ale also had gotten a job. So now Ale is in New York with us. Nice. Um, so we're 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 um, matched once again, and everything is great, and and all that. So uh, from from our relationship perspective, thankfully, we we lasted the the temporary separation. Um, mostly down to her because, as I mentioned, I was not the, the best of uh, the best partner during that uh, period. Uh, so, uh, fortunately, technology and all of that has evolved drastically since my sister's first, sister's first operation. And uh, while the risk of death was was high, the, the operation went went smoothly, thankfully. And um, you know, now she's she's doing very well in, in life, and thankfully operating you know normally and very smart, bright, talented, and um, has a great job. And she actually graduated with a first class degree, which is basically a four point GPA um, earlier this year. So. Awesome. I I then go back to uh to uh in uh, my my job my new job and I, I'm doing pretty well there right so my my role there was basically to close the prospects and uh, I had a pretty good knack at building relationships with people um and it happened very abruptly because the person that was originally responsible for it had left and then I just became the next in line to take it over and um. And uh, people would like people would tell me anything, and I would ask very personal questions on the phone call. And my 
boss who was one of the owners of the company she would say reza she's like i don't know how you do it she said but people will tell you anything imagine this is a first call i would find out how many kids they've got how much money they have in their retirement account do you have an estate plan do you have 529s right how, when are you plan to retire right what's your income is that bonus what's your rent what's your all of these things and they would just tell me everything you know and uh, uh i would never once like pitch the company until the very end i would always listen ask questions and um everything was going very favorably and then um i started to um uh develop uh some dissatisfaction with what i was doing uh i had now checked check the box right of yeah i want to do this and now i'm doing it and i'm like mm, i don't know if i want to do this anymore you know i'm not doing bad at it i'm getting paid decent but you know at this point you know they they pay me a decent amount of money as well right so i'd gotten significant raises throughout and from financial perspective everything was great but personally i was just not really feeling it and um i decided to do a bit of self reflection of kind of like what do you, what do you really want to do man you know in life and um at that moment in time i became really passionate about health and wellness right just from a science perspective and i really enjoyed how the body works and all of that so i was like you know what i think i want to be a personal trainer <laughs> you know imagine going from wealth management to personal <laughs> training right so um i decided to follow through and i i i ordered all of my study material i did my due diligence i figured out what i wanted to do and uh i had a call with my dad right and i called up dad and i was like hey dad i was like um just want to let you know i'm going to start to explore something else and he goes oh yeah he's like what's that mate and i go um, i thought i was like i think i'm going to have my crack at personal training and he goes you fucking what mate he's like you've got an mba he's like you've got an mba and you want to do a shitty little training job he's like you lost your freaking mind <laughs> he's like what is wrong with you <laughs> i was like yeah man i was like i'm just not feeling it man i was like i was like it's not all about the money he's like oh yeah it is mate he's like it's all about the money man <laughs> yeah. right so and I'm like, well, man, I was like, I said, I, I said, I ain't calling to get your permission, man. I said, I'm calling to let you know that this is what it is. I said, so either you could support it or not support it. I was like, I'm just letting you know that this is what's happening. And obviously, he wasn't happy with my answer. <laughs> um, but then they saw that I, I was going for it. Now, this is the thing about my dad, right? He may have his feelings about certain things. But once he sees that I'm going after it, he will get behind it. Nice, you know. So, and and this is again where my dad's risk-averse personality comes. Oh, you're cushy right now, you know. You're earning six figs, you know, man. You're good. The hell do you want to do that crap for? It's sitting around in the gym, you know, helping people with their bench press. <laughs> you know, like he just viewed it as. As as what it was, he didn't really care about the feeling and the emotion and the fact that it would bring me happiness. 
right? He just thought that's a deadbeat job. Basically, it was kind of like the same discussion as when I first told him I wanted to do marketing. You know, right. it's literally a, a replica of that discussion. So, um, so I did start to do it, uh, and I started to study, and and um, and uh, on top of that, I also was began to get into mentoring too. So I signed up to a mentor program called iMentor in New York, where I would mentor. You'd basically be paired with a kid, and you would be the first in the first generation going to college, and from a low income part of New York City. I was paired with a kid up from the Bronx. His name is Joseph. Really smart kid. He graduated and first like in his family. And uh, he, Joseph and I still have a have a relationship, and and that too was important to me because I was like, I, I've been through it, and I didn't have any one to help me or or guide me or serve as a mentor. Now that I am in a a better position in life, I, I want to help other people, specifically those that are coming from low economic environment, because I know how hard it can be, and my story isn't even remotely close to what people go through. Mm-hmm. Right, like I, I'm, I, I can admit that whole, people go through far, far worse than anything that I've endured. I, I had both parents. Right, some people don't have that. Some people's parents are are are, are abuse substances. Right, there's a whole host of things. So in comparison, my situation was a walk in the park. You know, um, so I wanted to be there for those types of individuals, and I and I really enjoyed going there every day and, and talking with Joseph and, and helping him navigate school challenges and just life in general. And even to this day, I'm like, Hey man, I was like, I even said to him the other day, I was, he told me he had an interview and then I was like, um, uh, I was like, what? I said, I said, why haven't you done the interview? He said, Oh man, I need some clothes, man. He's young. Right. He's young. He's like, I don't have any, I don't have any clothes. I was like, I was like, how much you need, man? I said, I'll give you the money. And he's like, oh, no, 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 man. Right. So like for me, it's not just about being there. Like I'm willing to find, I'm not a millionaire, right. But I'm willing to financially help other people. I don't view money as a value, right. Again, I'm not a millionaire, but I want to help and really help and not just say that I, not just talk, not just give fluffy sound bites, you know, like most people do. I'm just being real, you know, I really want to be able to help and provide tangible assistance and not just talk about it and, and all of this stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so, so if somebody's yeah. interested in iMentor, where do they, I guess they go to iMentor.com or. Yeah, I think it might be iMentor.org. And I think that they have different, um, they have different, uh, it's not just in New York city. I think that they have them around, uh, um, the country in, in the U S mm-hmm. and yeah. now in, in Florida, I'm part of an organization called take stock in children, mm-hmm. nice. uh, which is affiliated with big brothers and big sisters, uh, same okay. sort of, uh, concept. So, uh, either of those two. And I, I know that take stock is also trying to expand into other um, cities too. Um, so yeah, I would strongly recommend if anybody, yeah. they're always looking, especially after COVID I've heard that, especially male vo- volunteers, I've heard this yeah. from the, the coordinators at take start, a lot of male volunteers in particular, uh, disappeared when, when COVID happened mm-hmm. and they, and, and they've really been struggling to find them. So I think if anybody is in a position where they can f- provide valuable advice, you don't need to come from a sophisticated background or anything. You, you just need to help. 
you know, yeah. that's, that's, I it. think that's awesome. Yeah. You're doing that. Cause I mean, yeah. it, you, you did mm-hmm. check the boxes. You wanted to get to New York, wall street, all that you did that you got yeah. the six figure income you've been dreaming about, you made your family proud, but then mm-hmm. you kind of followed your heart yeah. to where mm-hmm. you wanted to be as in mm-hmm. terms of personal yeah. training. We haven't gotten yeah. into other aspects yeah. of your businesses, yeah. but at the same time, you have this, this heart for helping the kids who are yeah. struggling that didn't yeah. have some of the advantages you yeah. had yeah. growing up in London. Yeah. And, and that quite honestly, when I wrote my book, um, I didn't write the book to become famous or any of that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get into the realm of motivational speaking specifically for low income people. And in my mind, you know, I think about things strategically, right? In my mind, I thought, well, who's going to allow me to speak in front of people? Like, who am I? Like, you know, they don't know me. And uh, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> I was like, that way I can talk about my sort and then that, that will then give me a little bit of credibility and then I can then leverage that. You know, this is how my mind sort of worked is that I can leverage that and then go to different schools and institutions and try to, you know, speak to people like my big aspiration. If you have anybody listening is to become a TED speaker. Like that is really like one of the things that I would love to do and just talk about these things. And it, within the book, I, I really go, not just talk about my story. I really, uh, you know, I have editor's notes within each chapter where I literally interpret the chapter for the audience and how they can apply it to their uh, lives. Because I, again, I don't want people, I don't want to just tell a story. I want to make it actionable. Mm-hmm. I want yeah. people to understand, right. How well, they can yeah. apply this. Let's, uh, let's talk more about your book. First of all, you've mentioned yeah. it a few times, but tell us the title yeah. and tell us about yeah where people find it and, and, uh, yeah. So, um, it's not out yet. Firstly. Okay. Oh, um, all right. Yeah. I just, uh, I just finished it writing it last weekend. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so, uh, it's called, there's always a way and I'm, I'm in the middle of, um, exploring the best way to, again, this is all new to me, right. The whole, and perhaps I can speak to, to you guys about this after maybe you can advise. Uh, but, um, uh, I've been trying to figure out the best way to to get it out there, uh, and I have an editor who's been who's kind of been helping and guiding me in terms of um, you know how best to go about it. Uh, I started writing it on March twelfth, and I finished it four months later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about twenty chapters. It's essentially a chronological story of my life, along with actionable tips and checklists and things of that nature so that people can really take away from it again uh, you know my intention was not to become famous or any of that you know it was more so to just write it and really my main goal is to get into the speaking arena where i can um really help on a personalized level yeah Yeah. i love it i love that i like your i like your title yeah i'm a a big believer in branding and titles because if you hit it you hit it and if you don't yeah uh that's a problem Uh, there's always a way there's always a way that that gives you a sense of optimism Uh right yeah 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 Yeah. and and yeah i have a thing where i say i said this to nathan the other day i said that experience that I had when I was in uh, that my first failed attempt, I say it's my biggest failure in life, but it's also my biggest accomplishment in life. 
Mm-hmm. Because when I walked out of that situation, and perhaps this is um, yeah, not a good thing, but I, I literally walked out of that situation and uh, and I felt I'm bulletproof mm-hmm. now, right? Yeah, like I, like th- there's not many things that are gonna phase me after enduring that. And I was speaking to Nathan not long ago, and I said to him. In my opinion, I said everybody needs to get burned once really bad. Yeah. Because through that come the learning lessons. Like I always say, don't tell me what I'm doing good at. Tell me what I'm doing bad at. Because that's the only way that I can improve. And it's only through failure can we really understand and take away lessons. And unfortunately, throughout school, specifically for young men and women, through academia, we are uh, we are in our minds uh, coded to believe that failure is inherently bad you see a big red f with a circle on the paper bad right and and it's ingrained in us from such an early age and therefore people naturally associate failure as as being negative Mm -hmm. Uh, i do not view failure i view failure as stepping stones and 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 there's also another saying that people say and, and which i strongly disagree with you know everybody says a hard work always pays off i said it doesn't it doesn't always pay off. Sometimes you're flush. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, but uh, I'd say that there's a word missing from there. That's the hard work and persistence pay off. Most people, if they failed as bad as I failed the very first time, they probably would have never have gone back a second time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think, yeah. True. The question then, because how bad do you want it, man? You know, like how bad do you want what you're going after? Because regretfully, again, within the book, I have a very real perspective. It's not a rosy perspective on life. And I think that a lot of motivational speakers in particular, they paint this really rosy picture of how you can be anything that you want to be. And they leave out the fine print, right, of, of all the sacrifices and the grit that it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is they, they spread a lot of the, and I'm not naming anybody in particular, but they spread this gospel, right? But I think a lot, a lot of these people, they wait until they reach the pinnacle of success to write a book. They don't write it while they're going through it. I'm going through it right now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I, I got laid off not long ago. I talk about it openly in the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? I got laid off, <laughs> you know? I'm not writing. I, I don't. I'm not flying around in a private jet while my secretary, you know, organizes my calendar. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that uh, um, a lot of people they 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 need to understand more the realness behind like chasing after your dream. And I and I believe anything can happen, and that and I do believe that there is always a way for absolutely anything in life. But. Uh, it requires an immense amount of sacrifice and an immense amount of perseverance and, 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 and above all, an immense amount of discipline, personal discipline, mm-hmm. right? Are you going to be willing to fight through challenges, right, that you're facing or not? Because if you're not and you dream of being an entrepreneur, you might as well tie up the gloves right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, um, yeah, we could be we could be motivated all day long, but if we're not dedicated and if we're not disciplined, if we don't, yeah. if we're not persistent and consistent, it's like yeah. you can yeah. be motivated. I'm motivated every day, you know. Yeah. It's like, yeah. but but yeah. if you don't put it to work, yeah, if you don't yeah. put it into action, then it's just yeah. It's yeah. just motivation. Yeah, yeah, 
Well, for, uh, for sure. Uh, tell us more about, uh, I know that you are the CEO and co-founder of Haymaker Media. Yes. Let's let's yes. talk about. Is this a good time yeah. to talk about? This? Yeah, yeah, sure. We can. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I was doing the training stuff for a very long time, and I became certified in nutrition. I became a fitness nutrition specialist. I became certified in pregnant how to train pregnant women, pre and postnatal women. Right. I started to really evolve everything, and and what I was doing is I, I was. <laughs> it's funny. I was, I was working at my finance job earning a decent amount of money. And then I would train group fitness classes where I would get paid $30, $15 an hour for, oh, for $30, $15 a class. Mm -hmm. Right. So just to put it in perspective, right. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, I was getting this and I was breaking my back, waking up at four in the morning to train a 5.30, 6.30 AM class. And then I would do my full-time job. And then I would train the 7.30 PM class. Right. right. I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it for everything else. But the, the fact of the matter is, right. Is, is again, right. Um, financials do come into play, right? Because um, you have to also live your life as well. And, and for me, I was doing all of this stuff, but um, I wasn't really able to, um, I wasn't seeing that I was getting the level of income that I needed in order to do this at a full-time level. So, um, uh, one thing that I'll mention before we, before we pivot to the, to the, uh, to the agency, if, if I may, uh, is, um, I, I had another crazy idea, right. When things were not well going too slow for me on the training front, I decided I wanted to open up my own gym and, um, I researched extensively and I decided to look into real estate and, uh, and I found a partner as well who was willing to go in it with me. And I did all the research and I was about to put in a, a lot of money, which made Ali very, very nervous. <laughs> she was not happy with this, uh, with this endeavor to say the least. She was like, Oh my God, she was, this is a high risk. This is everything that we have. I was willing to put it in the gym I, and and I, I was going after it, but I was also in the back of my mind. I was thinking about Ali and I was like, I know that she's not hundred percent on it, but nonetheless, you know, I, she was being supportive and, 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 uh, and then COVID happened and that dream went out the window. For sure. Right. Um, so then I, 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 at this point I had moved to Miami because Ali wanted to be closer to her elderly parents. And, um, uh, I wouldn't uh, bat twice of moving to Miami. I always wanted to move to Miami. And it's just so ironic that 10 years ago, I was homeless and I ended up back in the, in the same place under very different circumstances. Uh -huh. And um, I found um, employment that was giving me, you know, decent amount of, of income as well here in Miami within the substance use and, and mental health treatment space. And I decided to pivot because I, I, I wanted, again, something more. I didn't want to go into financial services and, um, and uh, was, was going along. Things were working out very well. And then I, I got laid off abruptly because firstly, it, the, the manner in which it happened was, was atrocious. So I'm not going to name the company, uh, but uh, I was given literally a few days notice, no severance, no PTO, no nothing was paid out. Yeah, sorry. First, well, first, actually, first, they made me fire my team, number one. First, I had to fire my team, and they put me in a very 
difficult position. I hold, I'm a man of integrity. That is first and foremost, the most important thing to me. I will never do anything that compromises my integrity for financial or material gain ever. Mm-hmm. And they gave me basically 24 hours notice to can my entire team, all of whom had families and children. And it was terrible. One of the worst things that I've ever done in my life. I felt so guilty. And um, as I was speaking to one of my team members and I was asked, I, I asked, and meanwhile, I'm still training, right? I'm still getting in whatever I can with like personal training, but nothing really material. I'm At this point, I'm doing it because I really enjoy it. Right. Um, but I speak with one of my, my team members and, um, uh, and he says, uh, I asked him, I said, what, I said, what are you going to do, man? Now I said, anything I can do, I can try to do my best to introduce you to people, anything reference, let me know anything. I, I'm willing to help you. And he goes, yeah, I think I'm going to do this marketing thing, man. He's like, I was doing this for a while. And, you know, I got paid a decent amount of money in a few months. I think I might go all in. And he told me how much money he got paid. And I was like, holy shit. I was like, dang. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, was like I, I said, I need to get into this action. <laughs> you know? And, um, and that's when I realized, like, this, this could be the bullet for me to, 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 that will take me to the point where I can, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a failed entrepreneur currently right because I, I at this moment in time nothing has I've, I've attempted so many things in fact ali not long ago was saying she's like you've thrown so many things at the wall she said and nothing has stuck she said this is the first time in 10 years that you have found something that finally sticks uh yeah and uh, the feeling of like oh my god this is like within within real reach so then i then uh what i i had a very close friend of mine who was working with me his name is richie mm-hmm. he was working at the same place and i had to fire richie after i just got him this job and, and let me just talk about richie real quick richie comes from the hood the hood hood uh, the hounslow ain't nothing compared to where richie's from right it's from school of hard knocks very talented creative graphic designer um, I had an opportunity on my team and I managed to convince my manager to give Richie a shot because my manager trusted my judgment. So I managed to get Richie a, basically a, a full-time corporate job. He was like me when I moved to New York. He's like, oh my God, man. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm actually like, I've got a corporate job now, man. Like decent money, you know, like. He's never seen that much money before in his life. So then to the fire, this is my friend, right? Like close friend. I'm like, rich man. I'm sorry, man. I was like, it's not my decision, man. And he didn't take it personally. And that hurt me. And then I thought I spoke to my other colleague who mentioned this marketing thing. And, I, and then I called up Rich. I was like, hey, Rich. I was like, I got this idea, man. I said, you're a creative mastermind. I said, I've got like the marketing strategy brain. So how about we create our own marketing agency and we just go at it full time. And then um, Richie was obviously all in. He's unemployed at this point. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, yeah, what have I got to lose? But also he was also very excited about the possibility 
of, of, of starting something because he said to me, he's like, man, he's like, I've always wanted to do something like this, but I don't possess the, the business mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, now he said that, that you're in this with me and you can kind of coach me on certain things and I can cover the creative and I don't possess the creative. We went in and we created this full service marketing agency. And thankfully it's, it's doing very well. So, you know, it's called Haymaker Media uh, with an E. So H-E-Y-M-A-K-E-R media.com. And um, we specifically focus on uh, growing businesses because, and that was something that was important to both of us because uh, we know the grind, right? Yeah. We know how difficult it is when you're an entrepreneur and, and, and I always lead with value. I want people to get meaningful value out of what I'm providing, regardless of whether you pay me or not. Right. I, I believe in building relationships first and then the, the rest follows. Right. And um, and we started it and thankfully it, it's it's doing pretty well. And and we're putting a bit more energy. We've brought in a couple more other a, a couple of other people. And ironically, these were also people that were mm-hmm. that were terminated from our prior employment. So I was like, all right, guys, jump on the ship. <laughs> yeah. So all these people that were sort of like in the same position. And that this is really important for me. Right. When I define people ask me, what's your definition of success? For me, you know, people say it's lonely at the top. I say there's room at the table for everybody to eat. You know, it doesn't need to be lonely at the top. Like for me, it's important that people around me are leveling up with me as I level up. You know, and, and that for me is my definition of, of success. And it's funny because I was speaking with a really close friend of mine. And he said, um, man, he said, he said, he said, I look at you, man. He's like, you're successful, man. He's like, I want to be like you, man. And I was like, whoa, I was like, you, you, so there's someone, some dude behind me. Like you, you talking to me? I was like, bro, I was like, I ain't successful, man. I was like, I appreciate you saying that, but you know, but I said, I'm not, I said, I'm just here grinding just like everybody else putting in the work. And just trying to be the best version of me and, and trying to live a, a happy life that is not driven by money, yeah. right? I was earning a decent amount. It did not create happiness. I just want to be able to do something that I love and now I am doing it. And now, thankfully, you know, I'm earning enough that will keep me afloat while at the same time having a lot of passion behind it. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's a great feeling. You know, and it, and it, as I said, it, and as Alice said, I've tried a lot of stuff. It hasn't come to me, you know, just like like that. And it was ironic here is that it's marketing. It was sitting under my nose the entire time. Like I've been in marketing for over a decade, and I never once thought open up your own agency. You know, I just never thought about it. You know, it's so such a weird feeling. But you know. It, but uh, thankfully, as I mentioned, you know, we're doing all right. I'm glad to be doing it with my brother, Richie, right? And, and we're creating something great together. I've got my sister involved, as I mentioned. This has brought me and my sister closer. I've re- uh, you know, I didn't realize how much of a superstar my sister is <laughs> until I brought her into the fold. And I'm like, man, I was like, you're someone else, man. <laughs> you are someone else. <laughs> like, you know, you're like, like 50 times me, you know, and she's young, like she's in her twenties, you know, like right now and her 
passion and drive. Like she's always been there and she's there with me. And, and now I'm trying to also open it up in, in England as well to create a Haymaker Media in the UK, give my connection there. And, and uh, it's just a great feeling after, after so long. I'm still not there yet, but after so long of fighting, and clawing. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm waking up early in the middle of the night now because you know I'm CEO of Haymaker Media. That means that my mind is constantly in race mode, right? So I'm still going through it, but I am enjoying it, and I'm seeing the light. I'm, I still have not entered the light, but I'm beginning to see it. And and uh, above all, Ali is extremely happy that I finally found something that doesn't require hundreds and thousands of dollars like my previous <laughs> entrepreneurial endeavors. <laughs> so um, you know, so yeah, so so that is that's that's kind of what where all of my energy and focus is is going on, and um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing where it evolves to and. And thankfully, my my I mentioned relationships to me are very important. It's only through my relationships. Like I managed to get clients for Haymaker Media before I even had a functional website. Mm -hmm. And it was because I focused myself on and it was only through like in passing where people, oh, you're creating your own thing. Like, I think I might want to work with with you. You know, you know, and it's the relationships have paid dividends, thankfully. And that's why I tell everybody focus on relationships don't focus on transactions yeah, yeah. You know? even in corporate world wherever you are mm -hmm. always focus on real meaningful relationships that is what will pay you dividends you know in in the in the future for sure um, for sure yeah 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 i'm looking at your website it's super cool and thank you I, I think you've been uh from what i've heard from tanya you're being a little modest uh <laughs> Because, you know, you you have you describe yourself in, in your bio as a, a failed entrepreneur. But <laughs> I think I think you're you didn't explicitly say this, but you implied it. I want to explicitly say it. And that is that these so-called failures, uh, which a lot of people would look at, you know, success, like I got my job in New York, I'm done, but yeah. you know, and coast <laughs> for the rest of their career. These so-called failures have given you this unique um a set of characteristics and, mm -hmm. and attributes and traits and experience to where you start up Haymaker Media and it does take off and there's a yeah. lot of success and a lot of yeah. people drawn to it. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, Thank here you. you've got, you finally kind of, I don't want to use the term arrived, but I'm going to use it. Yeah. You've kind of arrived on this super cool thing yeah. that's successful and your attitude isn't like, Oh man, hand me my crown and right. you know, uh yeah, you know, my There's plenty of work to be done. <laughs> yeah, no, they're you're you're always charging ahead. I yeah. I you know and even yeah. even wanting to, you know, open up in, in your home, you know, in your home country, I think you know, that's giving back as well, you know. Yeah. So I and I want my people like first thing that I said to Richie, and Richie said to me, right? We both Richie comes as I said, we both come from low income. Richie comes from much harsher conditions. And we both said it's really important for us. Like people that don't have education will have opportunities at Haymaker. Like yeah. we're going to set a different tone and allow creative and talented people that just because they don't have the financial means to get a bachelor's or a high school doesn't mean that you are worthless. 
Right. And I think right. in our society, regretfully, corporate especially, it has set it up in a manner where it is unreachable if you don't come from some sort of education. And I'm blessed to come from, you know, uh, uh, where I have a master's and I have a, a bachelor's. And, and, you know, while I'm happy to have it, I also don't think it lends any value towards your talent and your potential. You, know, you can be the best that you can be. And it's important for us as our mission to uh, help our people first and foremost, and then others that are coming from these other uh, disadvantaged backgrounds. Not to say that we would not bring on others, obviously, but we want Haymaker Media to be a place where you can be great even if you don't have corporate qualifications, you know, and, and all these other things. Absolutely. Yeah. You said yeah. something really poignant before where corporations are more focused on, you know, majority of them, I'm generally speaking, um, they're more focused on the transaction instead of the relationship. I, my former employer, same thing. They were so focused on the transaction instead mm -hmm. of me going out there and building relationships with people and they mm -hmm. didn't see it like that. And I'm like, yeah. okay, your loss, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's unfortunately just the way that it goes. And, yeah. and that's why it is, it is and has been so important for me to work for myself because I'm not going to let somebody else dictate my worth. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know, and unfortunately in corporate world, that's how you, you wait, for that 3% raise. And I'm not knocking anybody's hustle, right? Everybody's live your life. However, whatever brings you happiness, that Do is it. the most important thing. Ale, for example, she says it word for word. I work for my vacations. She loves the stability. She loves the com comfort, right? Mm -hmm. That she loves it. She's happy with it. That's great. I am not. I'm happy to live a roller coaster of a life <laughs> and, and work for myself and create my own worth, even if it doesn't mean that I'm I'm caking a hundred thousand plus dollars, even if I'm making sixty or fifty, or as long as I'm making enough to survive and, and eat and live comfortably, you know that is really the, the most important thing. That's you know? a good message. Yeah, right I'm there. so glad you said that because yeah. I did a book called Me We Do Be, and it did pretty well, and and uh, I did the Today Show and a bunch of oh cool. Media on it. cool. But the thing, one of the statistics in the book is we surveyed five thousand people. Uh, around the world in uh, Canada, US, UK, and Australia. And we correlated different uh, things together, daily habits with measures of success. One mm -hmm. of the things that came out of that research was that if you have enough money to pay your basic bills, and that varies around the world, wherever you are, but, yeah. but you know, just paying your basic bills, you are statistically as likely to be ha as happy as a billionaire. No you know. Way. Yeah. And I, I yeah. And it, cool. there's no correlation, no correlation. Mm -hmm. And I love what you just said, because it's like, as long as I got enough to pay my bills, yeah. my basic yeah. bills, I'm happy because I'm yeah. doing what I'm cut out. Yeah. for. Right? Yeah, yep. yeah. 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 And you know what else, since, since you're bringing this up and I, and I have a book, I have a chapter in the book on financial literacy, right? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people specifically in America, do not have like the this whole credit card debt situation is astounding to me. Yeah, like you know you don't see that in the UK. Yeah, I find it so uh, amusing uh, uh, and rightfully, I mean rightfully so, but I still find it so amusing that as part of women's dating criteria, good credit often is a, a checkbox. Seriously. And I, yeah, I've heard that Shows over that and over. Not on a dating site. I mean, I've I've heard that repeatedly from different people. Oh yeah, and good credit. And I'm like, what? 
I'm like, interesting. I'm like, uh, I was like, so like, you know, I just find it so fascinating, but also it's the fact that it, when you come from low economic environments, you are not taught financial literacy, basic financial literacy. We live in a world currently that is heavily driven by social media and that is heavily driven by material items. Everybody wants to impress others. I, I, I drive, I'm very open about this. I drive around in a Honda Civic. I could afford a far better car, a luxury car. I do not because I'm living within my means. And I think that basic concept is so difficult for people to yeah. understand. People don't have savings. They're here splashing the cash on this, that, and the other. And um, they're not really thinking about their future. They're just thinking about the now, right? And the future doesn't mean to be an entrepreneur or whatever, but like just getting into like debt without really thinking about the ramifications, the future ramifications of, for example, if you want to buy a house or if you want to just mm -hmm. do anything, right? And you've, you've created this sky high debt and you're literally playing catch up for decades because um, we weren't taught basic financial literacy and it's not of the fault of people i don't in my opinion it's the fact that in schooling and especially again coming from low economic environments you're not taught about this i only know because i worked in wealth management and i was surrounded by very wealthy people and i observed their every single move and then it's only through those observations was i able to then regurgitate it back to my people and be like hey man you need to get this. You got. You, you need to get a will, man. It's not just for rich people. That's you know. There's all these different things, and um, you know. And to your point, Randall, I think that a lot of people, um, uh, they don't think about it from a financial literacy perspective, and and regretfully, it's largely due to the way that social media has has conditioned us. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we yeah. live. I mean. I've seen my whole life people that try and put on the show with the how the the cars yeah. particularly, yeah. Yeah. and and you know that's just that's such a dead giveaway mm -hmm. that there's some there's not a lot yeah. behind that facade, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Sure. And Miami is the epitome of of that type of place where uh, somebody has uh, multiple people have said to me, especially when I moved it, it's a very sunny place with a lot of shady people. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, so, was I was talking to somebody I, I, yeah. the other day where, you know, we're talking about like extravagance. Right. And I was talking to somebody the other day um, who lives in San Diego and these, and I was doing like a compare contrast because San Diego is very different than Orange County. And he goes, yeah, he goes, every time I'm having coffee at Starbucks in Del Mar, he goes, if I see a Lambo, like a Lamborghini or a Mercedes, it's like, yeah, they're not from San Diego. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, different. yeah. You know, here in Orange County, yeah. everything's very flashy and yeah. everything's like out on the table. So, you know, I think, you know, to some people, success is one thing into another. It's, it's If it brings you true happiness, that's fantastic. Exactly. The fact is, is that it does not. You do it for other people. Right. Yeah. Most well said. at least. Well you said. Know. That's true. You know, yeah. Before uh, Reza, before we let you go, um, yeah. I, I, I'm glad we we ended our ending on kind of a high note of of Haymaker Media. Yeah. Because that sounds just it is brilliant. You've got a lot of understated success there. But um, there were two things I wanted to kind of go back to a little bit and address Please. with our audience. Yeah, the I have two things. The first one is I know you went through a period where you got really overweight. 
Oh can you, yes. Can you yes. kind of talk yeah. about, talk sure. through that? Re- yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I, yeah, I completely slipped my mind. So, um, yeah. So this happened uh, two two years ago, roughly. So it's not. It's a very sad story. <laughs> Firstly, so I, I hate to go from the haymaker to <laughs> so completely down, but uh, what had happened was um, I, I was in doing my thing. This is prior to haymaker. Uh, I had already moved to Miami. My dad calls me up. This is the heat. Isn't the we're in the heart the heat of COVID, right? Mm-hmm. That's all time high, and. Um, not sure if your viewers or listeners are aware, but uh, the UK got absolutely hammered mm-hmm. by COVID, similar to New York City. Right? My thing, my thing of New York City, and and that's exactly what happened in, in London, except uh, <laughs> due to London's government, uh, they handled it very poorly and it just got absolutely out of control. Mm-hmm. So my dad calls me up spontaneously, and he says, um, uh, "Your grandparents had a fall." And uh, they both were uh, hosts. Um, they were both. Uh, they, we had to call up the ambulance, and both have been admitted into the hospital in different wards because of COVID. He said um, it might not be a bad idea for you to come. Um, he said the other thing also is is that your granddad had a stroke last night, and he became unresponsive. So obviously, I didn't bat an eye. You know, I was like, okay, I was like, I'm, I'm going to be there. This is, you know, my grandparents. You know, this is where I. This is my time for them to be there for them, mm-hmm. as they were for me. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, I didn't care about my health. I didn't give about COVID. I didn't give a crap about anything booked up an overnight flight and at this point like planes were like you know they were hiking up the prices right because they were at low uh, um occupancy i paid a ridic- ridiculous amount i paid like i think three thousand dollars or something like that for for an economy ticket to oh, to wow. london but i didn't care about any of it and ali also is very family oriented and she too was like you need to go like you know and and i i went and um uh came you know quarantined all of that and then uh my 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 employer at the time was uh I, you know i i didn't ask i told him i said i'm going back home and i'm gonna be going back for a while um i said like take it or leave it basically yeah and and the employer was was um thankfully very um um uh reassuring with the situation and and said yeah that's fine you know if you could just check periodically email so on and so forth so when and um my dad had negotiated with the nursing team to allow me to come in and uh see my granddad because they the restrictions were tight so um so my granddad, he was hooked up to all types of things. I couldn't, nobody could see my grandma apart from my aunt. Hmm. She was the only person allowed in the ward because in that ward where my grandma was, it was 
very high, um, uh, many high precautions that were in place due to COVID. So nobody could see her, including myself. So um, I um, uh, uh, go see my granddad and I, you know, can't believe like, you know, like how he's looking, right? Completely unresponsive. Not, you know, just, we're just there. We're just present, right? All my family would come. Uh, he his his he had his own room because of how elderly he was, and um, there was a window, and all my cousins would come, and they would just like look, and my mom and everybody would come and just look. And nobody apart from my dad and I were allowed in the actual room. Um, so, uh, I go home, and then um, my uh back back home to, to my parents house like it's like we were there basically from sun up to sundown right basically visitation hours and um we get back the doctor said that my grandma's condition is seemingly looking better and i was we were all like oh great like this is seeming to be good good news granddad situation i flew because it seemed like it was the end for my granddad Right, um, because of the stroke, and they wanted my dad to find uh, to sign a DNR, did not resuscitate, and and he said no, I'm not going to sign a DNR, um, and uh, uh, I decided to go out once I got the news that things were looking okay in the evening. I arranged the meeting with Nathan and um, Jamal, which is my my other close friend. I haven't known him as long as I've known Nathan and Akil, but known him for a very long time and he's he's also one of my, my best friends out in england so we arranged a meeting just hanging out restaurant and um we're walking and uh nathan hangs back and he's got his phone up and uh, jamal and i don't think we just think it's a work call or something uh so he he kind of runs up to me he's like man he's like i gotta take you back man and uh, I was like, everything all right? He's like, yeah, yeah. I, was like, I just got to take you back, man. And I was like, oh. I was like, um, I said, what happened? And he go, hey. he wouldn't tell me. I don't. Uh, and so I was like, give me your phone, man. I was like, I'm going to call up my dad back. Call up my dad. And uh, my mom is like in absolute hysterics in the back. We already told Nathan, your grandma's dead. Get your ass to the hospital now. And I was like, what? I was like, and my dad, my dad was then like, yeah, mate. She was like, she, she's gone, man. And I was like, oh man, I was like, Nathan, don't tell me that. I think Nathan didn't want to be the one to tell me that my grandma died. So uh, I uh, hung up the phone. And then uh, I uh, just started to um, break down. And it was uh, Nathan knew because he said he came and he like hugged me. And he went, sorry, man. And uh, Jamal came, he hugged me as well. And then uh, we went back 
And then uh, Nathan dropped me off to the hospital as I was getting out. He like he had lost his grandma not long ago. So he knew also he had experienced it firsthand. Uh, so we went back and uh, went to the hospital. He held my hand and he was like, you're going to be all right, man. He's like, just be there for your family. So uh, went back and uh, my... Uh, my dad and I, we're not the emotional type, right? Like, we don't tell each other we love each other. We, you know, the only time that we hug really is when I come to England and when I leave England. So I arrived to the hospital and uh, first I saw my uh, dad. Sorry. Take your time. And uh, we hugged pretty tightly. And uh, uh, he was uh, crying uh, profusely. And I was with all my, like, my, I've never, I've never um, hugged my dad. Like that. It's just like, you know, really like just with all my strength holding him. And uh, I said to him, I was like, you did everything that you could, man. I was like, I was like, you couldn't, you couldn't have done anything else. And then uh, I saw my aunt, who was the one that was uh, looking after him while he, Grandma, she of course was, she is the emotional type. She was very, and, and my mom is also the emotional type, right? They, they were all really upset. My, my aunt especially was like really like breaking down. And uh, I said the same thing to her. I was like, so you did everything, you were there. I said, that's the most important thing. Um. I said you were there for her, and that's that's all that matters. And uh, she's going to be all right. <laughs> you know, she's a very spiritual, religious woman. I was like, it's we're the ones. That, we are the ones that we we are the ones that need the prayers, not her. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, obviously then my mom was just making my my way around to everybody, and um, and then you know we saw her and my grandma we were allowed to go in and you know we all you know saw her in the hospital but it wasn't a great feeling and then um the next day my uh granddad is uh feeling a little bit better now he's he's awake he's very edgy and we had to um uh, we were having like a family debate as far as whether we should tell my granddad that his wife has just died and they have been married for, I don't even know how long, well over 50 years. Um, and uh, 
we didn't we didn't want to tell him because we felt if we told him he would die from the news um, but we couldn't not tell him that his wife had died we just morally we just we didn't think it was the right thing to do so the next day um uh we all went to my granddad's ward it was me dad dad sister my aunt um her uh, four kids my mom and my sister and uh we were checking with the nursing team um you know is uh are his vitals okay and all that i want to make sure that all of that stuff was checked out so that we could tell him well at least his heart was beating and everything and uh they said yeah so then they allowed my aunt to come in as well and everybody is like looking outside the window it's me my aunt and my dad in the, the hospital room and uh we oh my granddad get into a uh uh, wheelchair he's kind of like sitting in the middle and we're like like my arm is here I'm like standing right in front of my um, granddad uh, my dad is on the left right so like three my granddad's there um, and uh my dad is the one who was gonna tell drop the news and he goes um he goes uh and my granddad is really confused right i remember he just come off off of a stroke like he doesn't he's not really with it currently um and uh he said uh he he was kind of what what's happening he started to get annoyed like what's happening like what what's going on and then my my dad is like um so you know he's tiptoeing around the issue last night it's like um something happened and uh he was like uh you know he's like um and uh mum passed away but he was like mumbling so my granddad got annoyed and he asked him to speak up He's like, well, he's like, I can't hear you speak up. And my, get, my dad now is like, um, really like profusely crying. And I'm like holding him with my, like my hand, like, like I'm like, sorry, I'm just like, we're here. And he, he then speaks up, well, he goes, uh, he goes, uh, mom died last night. And, uh, he said, your wife is dead. And my, uh, my granddad was like, what? He's like, how could this happen? He's like, he said, I, I said, I should have died first. And he was like, um, there's nothing to live for anymore. Uh, 
And he just kept on repeating that there's nothing to live for anymore. I should have died first. He was like, you know, I don't know how this happened. And, and for me, it is uh, the worst, like, to see your dad tell his dying dad his wife has died. It's the uh, the worst thing that I've ever had to see in my uh, life. Um, uh, so we were, they were like, we're gonna go see her in the morgue. He's like, uh, do you want to come? He goes, no, no. He's like, I can't see her like that. He's and we were like, okay, okay, it's okay. So uh, they all left to go see um, my uh, grandma, and I decided to stay back with my granddad. I said, you guys go. And my dad was like, he's like, are you sure? Uh, I was like, yeah, man. I was like, it's more important that you see your mom than I see my grandma. I said, I'll stay back with granddad. And deep down also, I didn't want to see my grandma in that state. So, um, uh, and then, you know, we did the funeral, all of that stuff. And then it became the time for me to leave, to go back to England while my granddad is still hooked up. Um, and I was like, and it was like the worst feeling ever. It felt like I was like leaving him behind, you know. Um, and then uh, uh, during this period, uh, I was going back more frequently. So I said to him, I said, I'm going to be back in February. And I was like, I'm going to see you again in a few months. I said, I'm, you know, I didn't know if he was going to be alive. You know, but it seemed like his condition was getting a little bit better, right? But between that period, he was being discharged and then he was going back. And, then, you know, it was just a constant. He had another stroke as well. So um, there was all of this stuff going on. But then, um, and, and so I came in February. When I came in February, granddad was now in my aunt's house. And uh, they had arranged for a hospital bed. So he was there. And uh, um, we, uh, he was now responsive. We were actually able to speak with one another. And he'd always ask me, how much money are you making now? <laughs> I would always be his like first. And I told him exactly, like I gave him the dollar, exact dollar. And he went like that. <laughs> and like, and from that, I was like, I was like, I was like, you got your, I was like, your investment paid off, granddad. And I always offered my granddad the money, and he would never take it. Mm. He said, you, he said, no, he said, I don't want it. He said, just um, you know, buy me a gift when you come back from Miami. He always loved his little souvenirs and things like that. <laughs> um, 
So when it was time for me to leave my granddad, and the other thing is, is that my family, like we didn't want to hire a private carer because we felt nobody's going to be able to take care of him like we can take care of him. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to show that level of, of care. So my family was the one that like literally looking over him 24 hours a day. My grand, my dad had also installed CCTV so that it would connect it to an app right so we could all like watch watch him and all that so like uh, a lot of part of me also felt guilty that my family's all coming together to like wait hand and foot everything anything bathe him feed him all of that and 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 i'm not you know because i gotta go back and it, and it and it really affected me significantly um and when it was time for me to leave on that February trip, uh, we both hugged and uh, he was crying, I was crying. And uh, deep down, we kind of knew that it was going to be the last time that we'd see each other or like while he's alive. And he, I remember he said to me, um, make sure, um, he's like, make sure you, that you pray for me and uh, And uh, you don't forget me. And I said, "Yeah, I said, I said, I'm never, never going to, um, I'm never going to forget you. Don't worry." I said, "Hopefully, yes, we'll be able to see each other again." And then, uh, you know, I went back. <laughs> One thing that I will always say is, my granddad would, you know, he would always ask, "Did you go see your grandma?" today and i said yeah i said we, we left our flowers and he would always say he's like forget all that flowers bullshit as he said that's not going to do anything for her he's like what she needs is prayers so make sure that you never forget your grandma and you're always praying for her and uh and because of his dementia he would because of the stroke and the dementia and everything he would actually forget that grandma had died and we would have to tell him again and he reacted like it was the first time. And normally it would happen when my dad and I were look looking after him. And then I would always like look on the floor, like crying. And then he would react again, like the same way. And that also was extremely painful. Um, so then I, you know, I went back to Miami after the February trip. And then I... Uh, Two months later, I got another call from my dad saying, dude, granddad's had a stroke. He's like, and I think that this this one might be it. He said, uh, I think that you should uh, make arrangements to come back. So, uh, uh, again, I, I did the same. I just, you know, got another flight. Again, the prices were pretty much comparable. These entire, all of these visits were comparable because this was all during the period of COVID. Um, so, uh, it, it was, I was thinking about it and I, this, this time I was getting very upset because I, and I called up Nathan. I was like, I haven't told him explicitly that I appreciate what he did for me with the masters. I was like, uh, I need to tell him before he dies, man. 
I was like, if I can't tell him, I was like, I'm going to be, I said, it's going to like haunt me for life. And uh, Nathan said uh, to me, he's like, he's like, he's like, you'll be able to, man, hopefully. God will. He was like, um, he said, I said, if you don't, he said, he knows, man. He's like, he knows that you appreciate it. Um, and over that eight hour flight, nine hour flight, all I could think was, I need to tell him. I need to tell him. I need to tell him. I didn't sleep the whole nine hours. And uh, got back home. It was a Thursday. I was really exhausted because I hadn't slept in over 24 hours. She said, speaking with my parents for a couple of hours. And then my aunt calls two hours off. Like, I, I, so to, I get home, literally off the flight, speak with my parents for two hours. And then I get up because I'm like, I need to sleep, guys. I was like, I'm, I'm dead. Like, you know, I'm exhausted. Uh, wake me up when you go to the hospital. Just literally, as I stand up, the phone rings. Sounds like it's a freaking make-believe, like the way that these series of events unfolded. But uh, my, grand, my aunt calls up in hysterics. He's had a stroke again. He's unresponsive. All the medical team just came in. You need to come in now. I don't know what to do. And this, that, and the other. So uh, we all came back. We rushed to the hospital. I hadn't seen my granddad now. Everybody else had seen him in his current state. I, I had not. And uh, I walked in and I couldn't believe. My granddad looked like Santa Claus before. Big belly, like big beard. Yeah. Um, he had lost so much weight. His legs looked like little twigs. His heart was, his lung, lungs were filling up with water um, because of the stroke. His organs were giving out one by one. Like I, his, his, what was the, the most painful was his breathing. Every out breath was like this. And then back in. And that's how you would, would breathe. And it would be so painful to hear how he would be breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all went. And then my aunt was there. We, she'd always get there at like five in the morning. We, we would always force my aunt to, to leave to go back home so she could rest. So everybody left. It was just me and my sister. And, um, and my mom. And the nurse came in and I said, can, I was like, can, is, is he able to hear? She goes, yeah, he can hear. He just can't respond. So I'm like, all right. And I asked my mom and my sister, I was like, can you guys leave for a sec? And uh, kind of like, uh, held my granddad's uh, hand. And I was like, oh. granddad, it's me. I was like, I, I've, uh, I said, I came as fast as I could. I was like, uh, I just want you to know so that I appreciate everything that you did for me when nobody else would count on me. 
I said, I know I've never told you that explicitly, but I said, I, I appreciate what you did. I said, I'm never going to forget it. And uh, I said, I hope I made you proud. And I was pretty destroyed. As I was, I was like, I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever cried like that in my life, quite honestly. I was uh, really like, and that's why I wanted my... Um, And that's why I uh, wanted my um, my mom and my sister to leave because I, I didn't really want them to see me like that. Nobody's ever seen me like that. And to be even like um, cry here like on the podcast is 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 uh, is you know. But it's just one of those things. Like even when I was writing this out in the book, it it would um, it took me and obscenely long amount of time to write the chapter just because like it's one of those things that whenever I talk about it you know it, it just triggers you know and um uh, and then we were going back and forth in the hospital and he was so out of it that like you know he couldn't drink water so we would have to feed him water with like a little, little sponge mm -hmm. that we dip and then put it on his lips um and then the hospital staff really didn't care because he was elderly and they were just like, they actually came to my younger sister and, and, and cousin and, and they said to them point blank that you guys are cruel for keeping him alive. Um, and they would not increase his antibiotics. They literally wanted him to die because all they cared about were, were beds, essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, some were nice, a handful. It's interesting. Generally, the 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 you know in the UK, uh, a lot of the nurses are from like Africa, Ghana, and those countries, and very very good hearted, and and they would always like do everything that they could to help my granddad and and everything. But then there would be the others that just clearly were doing it as a job, and um, like I said, they wouldn't increase his antibiotics. They wouldn't do anything. They were just like, yeah, we're just going to have to leave him to to die painfully, basically. And um, we left the hospital, we would go in and out, the entire family would come. And um, my, uh, my dad and I were there, and then uh, this is going like maybe like three days later or something, and we left, and then my younger cousin calls up crying, and he's like, he's gone, man. He's like, he, he just died. Um. And we all rushed over. The entire family did. My cousin was like finished, and everybody came, and and everybody was crying and everything. And I look over at my dad. My dad's sitting on the bed without one tear in his eye, making the funeral arrangements because he doesn't want my granddad to be alone in the morgue. Uh, over the weekend because it's friday night so he wants to get the body out as fast as possible and I come up to my dad like, hey, man. i was like you're right man he's like yeah man he's like he's like i don't have time to cry man he's like i need to he said i need to figure all this shit out 
and everybody around is obviously like weeping and really distraught and everything. And then, yeah, we, we buried him. Um, I went back shortly after, helped my dad as much as I could. My mom always said, you know, your dad really appreciates you, you being there and everything. You've been really helpful with, with all the arrangement. I was like, man, I was like, I'm not looking for recognition. <laughs> yeah. I'm just help. I'm just doing my duty and what I should be doing. I said, I, don't, I, don't, I said, I appreciate it. I said, I'm not looking for a pat on the back. Um, and, uh, I, I came back home to Miami and, um, I haven't, like, I'm the type of person that I don't really like to talk about the, Ale, Ale has asked me in the past, she's like, um, how would you like to be consoled when you go through things? And I said, just leave me alone, like in a nice way. Like I, I just leave me. I said, I'll come back. Um, and she's obviously always there and supportive and everything, but I never really spoke about it. And then, you know, when I got back and I was away from my family and the unit, right, the support and the unit is what held us together. Right. The family came together. We were all there for one another. And I left. I, I lost that unit. And that's when things, you know, really started to affect me, like mentally. And um, and I, I resorted to food. When I got back, my gym went out of the window. That was number one. Nutrition, same. Started to eat really badly. Um started to feel really not pleased with myself. Um, on top of that, I, I was a personal trainer and a nutritionist. I felt embarrassed, like I'm meant to be leading by example. And here I am like, you know, getting completely out of shape. So I completely went off social media as well. Prior to that, I was posting regularly and talking about everything like nutrition tips and things. And I just, you know, my stomach, my clothes were starting to fit. Really, it got so bad that I wouldn't even like. I'd get out of the shower and I wouldn't even look my look in the mirror. I would always look down until I put on a shirt because I just didn't feel good at all about myself. And um, it went on for for quite some time. And um, as I mentioned, my clothes started to fit very tight. And uh, if you'd like, I could show you a picture of kind of how much the weight had increased would that be all right yeah if you got sure. it handy sure yeah um so this is this was like the biggest that i had uh ever been mm-hmm. all right so as you can see my top half like was you know that kind of shows like you know that i was still somewhat all right but mm-hmm. right here Right. As you can mm-hmm. see, just from the stomach and especially like here, mm-hmm. you could see how much, you know, weight I had really put on. And this was, um, this was, uh, the, the heaviest that I had ever been in, in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing really mattered. My goal, my entrepreneurship, the all of that, like didn't matter. And I was kind of like a reflection that, that I had when my granddad did pass away was that nothing in this world matters, you know, apart material wise, apart from like family, true happiness, just being loved you know, and love, you know, and those are the, the most important things that I learn. And I'm sure others that have experienced a, a close death like this probably also empathize 
And it really did put things in perspective. And, um, and the way that I overturned it, I just had to, um, you know, I don't even have the exact answer of, of how I turned it around. I just said to myself, all right, man, it's happened. You can't do anything. The show must go on, you know. Um, and I, what I did was actually, I had been off social media, as I mentioned, for quite some time. And that picture that I just showed you, I posted it on my social media without an after photo. You know how people put transformations before and after? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to wait until I wanted to show people this is life, right? I'm a, I'm a personal trainer. I'm a nutritionist. And this is me currently because of life. And I want, this is where I want the focus to be. I don't want to show you how, how, how great and fit I am. Any of that. I want all the focus to be right here. So you can see that it's okay, man. Like you, people go through it sometimes. It's all right. When, when we go through it, you know, um, you know, you'll bounce back when you're ready to bounce back. And I posted that one. I didn't tell Ali. She was absolutely livid when she saw it. It's like, oh my God, she's like, how could you post something like this to the world? So embarrassing. And, you know, this, that, and the other. I started to get a flood of texts, like a flood of them. Are you okay? Like, what happened to you? Like, like, I can't believe it. Like, you know, you were, you were healthy before. Like, is everything all right? Like, people became genuinely concerned. And, um, and, uh, you know, and then, and then I had some people that came back to me and they said, man, they were like, I, uh, people that I know who, whom are, that are overweight, they came back to me and they said, um, that picture gave me so much hope, man. They're like, because if you're a personal trainer and a nutritionist and you're like that and you're proud enough to show it, like, it makes me feel like I'm not alone and that like, uh, you know, that, that, that oh, Rez is going through it as well. And he's healthy. Like, this is okay. Like, you know, we can overcome it. And it started to give hope to other people. And that's kind of what I really wanted because again, like through social media, right. We're, we're conformed to these like ideals physiologically where everybody's walking around with a 10 out of 10 body, right. Everywhere you turn. Right. And that's just not reality. And I wanted to show that this is reality, yeah. real reality. And um, and, uh, and and thankfully, you know, I don't need to show you guys the after. Thankfully, I was able to, to turn it around and and just I just you know just went into my routine and and I started to hold myself accountable again. And and um, and uh, within a, a few months, I was able to formally get back to kind of like where, where I wanted to be health wise uh, and everything and, and, and got back, but it, it, it was a, uh, a very difficult uh, period of my life. As I said, there are only uh, two things that really make me cry on the spot. And it's very ironic that both of those revolve around death. 
The first is the death of Kieran, and the second is the death of my grandparents. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, but, you know, thankfully now, you know, I've written a, a, the book and re- repeatedly I mentioned how much my granddad has had an impact here on this podcast. I'll continue to say that I'll, I'm not embarrassed that, you know, that I had to ask for help. In for, instead, I want his like legacy to live, live, you know, through me. Um, just through different things that I have been doing, and um, you know, my family go to see them in the, every day in the graveyard. When I go to England, I go to see them every day. So, um, and and when their funeral happened, actually, because I mentioned in the I think in the in the dive stage that they were very prominent in the community, and they had a huge showing of people that came to the funeral. It was really quite something and this was when there were covid restrictions and people just didn't really care they were like no we need to be there for for them so so that's how it happened (laughs) from start to finish yeah yeah well what what strikes me two things one is that you have honored your uh grandfather so beautifully by recounting a really uh the deep love is is obvious Mm -hmm. by by uh you know the, throughout your story and and yeah. honoring him and and uh, uh not taking the easy way and glossing over it but really expressing yourself that so yeah that yeah. that's come through uh, you, the way you've honored him uh comes through loud and clear and the other thing that resonates is that you know we're talking about the thrive stage and what are we doing in the thrive stage to, you know crying and talking about you know something so awful but you know that's that's life i mean you know thriving is not all unicorns and rainbows and cotton candy it's yeah absolutely right stuff absolutely right yeah you kind of have landed in a really solid spot with haymaker media and Mm -hmm. getting grounded in something that's really super Mm -hmm. cool and plugged into your your uh your personality but that doesn't mean life life uh, is magically transformed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, laugh and, at that. yeah, um, I, and I'm sure that you know when it's time for my parents to go, you know, it's gonna be a, a repeat, you know, of of it. But you know, and yeah. the show must go on. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, but and yeah. and 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 time heals all, and all we can do is keep the memory alive and. Mm-hmm that's that's really all we can do if we're, yeah, we're able to survive and stay alive you know keeping the memory at the forefront yeah. is the most important thing yeah I and think, here you are oh, i'm sorry go ahead Tony. i think you you and i are both really blessed that we had an opportunity to share no i'm gonna cry <laughs> that we were able to share our moments with you know our mm-hmm. gratitude with you know with your grandfather and then with me and my mom and my dad you know yeah. very few people get yeah. that opportunity absolutely right I'm so yeah. glad i'm so glad yeah. you were able to get that you know from your yeah. heart and into yeah his yeah and you know it's so ironic because my, my grandma it's, it's really a blessing because my grandma passed away 24 hours after i had arrived to england the first time and my granddad passed away 72 hours after i had arrived wow. uh, you know and it i literally caught them both right as it was happening and and my mom would often say at least about my granddad 
you know, she would always say, and whether it's true or not, you no, know, we'll never know. But she always said, uh, he's waiting for you to arrive before he goes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah, that's very yeah. true. Yep. Yeah. And that, that's really super cool yeah. that you flew back to tell him directly mm-hmm. your gratitude. Yeah. Absolutely. Very, very touching. Yeah, yeah, it was really important for me. And yeah, I'm I'm really glad I was able to because if I hadn't been able to, I think it would have really significantly bothered me. Yeah. You know, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> until yeah. I until I probably had some therapy and then the therapist said, No, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. Thankfully I was able to to yeah. tell him. Right. And you know what? For you even to have the courage to do that, because I've worked in hospice care for what, for a total of two and a half years. And so many family members regret the fact that, oh, I should have said that. I wish mm-hmm. I would have said that. Yeah. And I'm like, what was the yeah. reason f- from, you know, from yeah. stopping you? And they said, yeah. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, yeah. no, don't be embarrassed, you know? Yeah. So yeah. this is a, this is a very teachable moment for people yeah. who are going through something. Yeah. I, I said it in the book, like, if you're fortunate enough to have your grandparents alive, right, or a guardian or whomever, like, uh, make like make sure that you are there for them because the reason why you live the life oftentimes especially if you come from an immigrant family is because your grandparents paved the way yeah. right? otherwise your life would be extremely different mm-hmm. um yeah i get it yeah all right thank well, you for sharing your heart Rez. yeah reza thank you for being so yeah. gracious with your time yeah. uh, absolutely you know we've counting we've been filming for five and a half hours god yeah. sorry no, 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 no. I, I don't mean that in a this, complaining this kind of actually way actually five hours is nothing <laughs> it's something uh but yeah i you know i'm just i just i think you've you, you know just been so full of so much wisdom and, and great examples of what this journey looks like and you're a young guy i think you're going to you know, your, your accomplishments are just going to grow. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to just, you know, uh, get one last question. And that is, you know, anything you want to kind of clean up on, or I don't know if that's the right term, but if anything last uh, that Mm -hmm. you want to share with the audience in terms of Mm -hmm. this whole journey of dive, survive and thrive. Yeah. I, I think the main thing that I would say, and I've said this throughout the book is that, um, your now does not determine your future, right? You may be going through some very tough circumstances right now. Mm-hmm. I have gone through extremely tough circumstances. I, you know, as I mentioned recently, fairly recently, I was laid off, but, you know, always invest in yourself and invest in your health, your mental health. And I always say mental health equals physical health. If you're not optimizing mm-hmm. this, like, you know, your, your brain power and just like your, you know, your, your inner strength, then it's going to effectively catch up to, to everything. Mm-hmm. And specifically for people that are listening that are from, you know, that are of ethnic minorities, you know, I know mental health is coming to the forefront now, but make no mistake about it. Mental health is still very much a taboo subject in many mm-hmm. black and brown families, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them do not believe it's real and you know my dad after i think almost like one and a half to two years of convincing him he's now ready to consider it but it's been an uphill battle and 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 my rebuttal to that is people will take therapy when they are ready to take therapy the only thing that you can do is check up on your people 
and make sure that they are okay because like somebody like me for example who will always say that i'm okay uh, you know i i am say that i'm okay most of the time i'm not always okay <laughs> right so yeah. i think asking definitely um should be part of everybody's just common habit especially with those that are close to you and not just asking really like, how are you man like mm -hmm. how how are you really mm -hmm. you know nathan and i will often have these discussions among yeah. ourselves how are you really don't just yeah. give me the i'm good <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah. that's that, those are my final words yeah. that's good well, thank you and i i gotta tell you that uh you know you mentioned black and brown people white people uh as the token white guy in the room uh <laughs> it's the same thing you yeah. know where where mental health is a taboo topic you know yeah. getting the therapist is a taboo yeah. idea yeah. you know but fortunately i think i hopefully across the board putting race aside um yeah people are waking up yeah i yes. look at it as a sign of strength for yes. sure agreed um, most yeah. definitely yeah. is yeah yeah you need to be true to yourself in order to you know get that help and first and foremost you need to be mindful i think is, is the very, very first yeah. if you're not mindful you know it all it all goes downhill from there really right yeah. exactly well, so. and there's so many anonymous lines right the suicide hotline now we have 988 right the 988 number um, there's yeah. so many anonymous free resources for people. I mean, I personally, I've called the National Su Suicide Hotline a couple of times, mm -hmm. NAMI mm -hmm. Warmline. So thank mm -hmm. you for bringing that, that, you know, that subject yeah, in because yeah, we are fi finally, we are talking about it. We've come a long way where we're not yeah. quite there yet, but yeah, yeah we've come a long yeah. way. Well, I mean, yeah. just with your family, Tanya, people are talking about domestic violence in a way mm -hmm. around the world as yeah. a consequence of you and your family. Yeah in just yeah. the last relatively sh few yeah. short years. So mm -hmm. I'm optimistic yeah. about society. I know we yeah. have some crazy people in yeah. Washington, D.C., and I'm not picking sides there. Uh, you know, I think there's plenty of cray-cray. We've got crazy in this room right now. But, but yeah. yeah. I have papers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, I again, I'm just so grateful for your uh, great generosity with your time. No, yeah. You're a guy I'm going to be keeping my eye on because um, <laughs> not only do I want to go scuba diving when I'm in. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. We should but, absolutely do that. Yeah. I think you've, you've, because you and I, we, you know, we used to work together. So it's like mm -hmm. you've kind of, and I also was part of that layoff. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you personally, I think you've jump started my, my purpose again. No, I'm flattered to hear that. I've, I've been really a little, flattered. I've been a wow. little door. I've been a little dormant. You know, we've had yeah. these conversations. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but no. I hope I'm people, honored to hear that. I hope yeah. people. You really have. Like, okay, now I'm all motivated. Like, if, if <laughs> Reza can do it, I can do it, right? So, <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate that. that. Thank you for that kickstart. Yeah. And I think I, I don't think I know that there's going to be somebody listening to this who goes, okay, you know, one more step and then I can be there. Yeah. Yeah. People just yeah. always stop at that step right yeah. before they get there. Yeah. Yeah. And I encourage people to reach out to me. Like, like if you're like, I have a, in, in my book, there's a chapter, the longest chapters on the book are about this story about my, my grandparents and, and just mental health. And within there, I, I provide my email where, and I, and I, like just really say to people like i like send me an email man like if you're 
you want to talk about things like I nice. want to really be there and again not just say that I'm there like if you're going through it or you know somebody needs a helping hand or it's kind of like lost in life like I've kind of been there you know before and you know I would love to you know speak with with whomever might be going through some similar struggles or, or problems you know that's kind of like my mission in life is really to to give back and that's one of the most important things to me in any shape or form i can achieve yeah. that would just be a gratifying uh, feeling well, well you're already you got a it. heart of gold i could see that yeah. all the way even though we're on opposite coasts yeah uh it, that message comes through loud and clear so thank you again i thank i hope so we much. talk again soon. thank you very much you're, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime i appreciate it yeah. thank uh, you very much thoroughly enjoyed having for the next the great idea or yeah yeah until yeah. yeah. so the next the next one yeah. no. maybe someone will give me the money for the shoes perhaps and then i can come back and be like uh, uh thriving podcast allowed me to uh re-enter the, the shoe game all right no thank you guys again. i appreciate it yeah, truly you thank you very much right here on post-traumatic thriving where we die survive or thrive the choice is yours all right see you next time thanks for supporting our podcast be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on your favorite social media. For books, merchandise, or to donate, visit coreiq.com. Post Traumatic Thriving is produced by CoreIQ, a nonprofit with a mission to teach the life skills we all need but are not taught in school. CoreIQ and the Post Traumatic Thriving podcast are for informational purposes only and do not provide medical or mental health advice. Always consult with your licensed medical and mental health care providers.